you could see her one eye sort of peeking out under her right arm. For 20 minutes, we watched them in our spotlight, trying to get them to move. Trying to take pictures of them, but we didn't have 35 millimeter film in the camera. Everybody, welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we appreciate all of you out there, and thank you so much for your wonderful support. Remember, if you've got an experience and you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me. You can reach me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. Bob Gimling, and you're listening to the Paranormal Porter. I've got an, a really exciting show lined up for you guys today. This is one that I've been waiting to do for years. There's uh, some people that, you know, everybody hears and, and they're like, wow, that's a, that's a great person. Well, one of those people for me uh, with some of the most compelling and interesting information and experiences is today's guest. And uh, this the gentleman joining us today is Tom Seawood who is, uh, I mean, he's got such incredible information, and I'm so thrilled that he's here with us today. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you so much for being here with me. Gaelic has a lot of greetings in my language. Thanks for having me on. Well, you know, I... I first heard about you, and this was years ago, of course, but uh, on Sasquatch Chronicles. And I remember just being glued to that episode and just really uh, enjoying the, the information and, the, and the, the experiences that you brought to the table. They were just incredible. And I also had the pleasure of meeting you in Medellin Falls uh, at the conference there. And I got to tell you, you are... You are one of the one of the coolest people I've ever met, and the, the presentation you and, and Peggy put on was just incredible. You guys did an amazing job bringing your your culture to the whole experience. It was just beautiful. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no, we had a lot of fun at that conference. We got to showcase our newest uh, regalia. You know, some people would call it a costume. We natives call it regalia. It's uh, fur outfit and the wooden mask of a Chunachwa, a female Sasquatch or the wild woman of the woods. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to perform it. And that was a lot of fun there at that conference. Yeah, it was amazing. And it was just mesmerizing the storytelling along with the visuals. It was so powerful. And I think there's so many of us that are interested in the Sasquatch, but one of the things that's always been lacking is that first nations perspective. And you've really championed bringing that to, you know, everybody's consciousness so we can understand that, that part of the history and the amazing, uh, legacy that that has had, uh, for so many, th- you know, thousands of years. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's why I'm, I guess you could say a Sasquatch investigator now, mm-hmm. I grew up in northern Vancouver Island, British Columbia, in a small island called Alert Bay, and uh, we lived on the Indian Reservation. And when you walked through the island, you saw massive totem poles, and at the base of them, you would see this form of a wild woman of the woods with sleepy eyes, puckered up lips, because they go whoop, whoop, whoop in the forest at night. Mm -hmm. 
with large breasts and outstretched arms. And that's, you know, you learn right away that it's our most powerful and highest ranked crest for the Kwakwakiwak people from northern Vancouver Island and the eastern parts into the mainland. And then, of course, going to the great ceremonies that the chiefs host called Potlatch. You know, it's an ongoing thing that, you know, through the winter you might go to two or three of them. And even to this day, and you would see their families' interpretations of what an ancestor witnessed in regards to a Sasquatch, and you would see their Chonakwa dance. So it was, you know, all a part of my life, you know. I remember even being terrified as a young boy walking as it was getting dark because I was out too late, and I had to go by the graveyard and see those big Sasquatch Chonakwas on the bottom of the memorial totem poles in the graveyard for the chieftains who had passed, you know, and it was scary because some of them were probably close to a hundred years old, all weathered and spooky looking. <laughs> so it was always in my life, but you know, you, I was a commercial fisherman after, you know, during high school and afterwards, you know, I was actually my career for 45 years. So I got to travel the whole British Columbia coast and you're sitting there, you know, whether it be on deck, talking away, drinking coffee or on the weekends, sitting in the pubs, having a beer on the dock, having a pop. I always brought, that question of, hey, what do you know about Sasquatch Bigfoot? Mm-hmm. And boy, you'd hear from their tribes and other fishermen, all of their encounters and stories and legends from their tribes. And, you know, it's sort of got the, I guess, say, reputation of Tommy always wants to know about Bigfoot Sasquatch. And of course, I read the books and early 1970s, I went to the movie theater and watched Leonard Nimoy with his uh, show about Sasquatch and the Loch Ness Monster. And that's when I really got interested because I seen it wasn't just the Indians and fishermen. It was people all through North America that were talking about this creature. So it was, you know, sort of died off in my 20s and 30s. I didn't really think about it because I was working commercial fishing and then I was also working out in the bush as a native watchman in 1989 onwards during the summer months. Mm-hmm. And in the fall, you know, you, I remember when we've had our first encounter, you know, there was one big Sasquatch sleeping behind our cabin trailer we had on the beach. And I walked into the kitchen unit of that 26 foot trailer and with a box of groceries. And as I looked out the window, there was my friend and fellow worker with a big D-cell battery about to attach it to the trailer hitch part of the trailer for our 12-volt lights. And all of a sudden, he just stood bolt upright with that battery, dropped it, turned and ran. And, you know, I knew right <laughs> then and there that, you know, something was a threat. So I ran to the end of the trailer, lifted the mattress, grabbed the two guns under there and met him in the kitchen unit, gave him a gun and we ran outside and I could smell something. And, you know, I'm like, what is it? And he, Bear? And he goes, I don't know. It was right over here. And we looked, and couldn't find it. And, uh, you know, I kind of thought, that's odd, you know, Trevor kind of acting kind of strange here. So I didn't think much of it until we went to bed at night. And I looked up when I was reading my book, and there's Trevor sleeping in the kitchen unit area with the three windows. And all three of them, the blinds are drawn. And for two years being out there with this guy, he never drew the blinds. They used to tease him, put the blinds down. I don't want Sasquatch looking at me when I sleep. And we'd just laugh it off. But here he was sleeping with the three blinds drawn and I was like okay that's odd blew out my candle went to sleep woke up a few hours later in the middle of the night there's Trevor sleeping in the hallway between my bed and uh, end of his end of the trailer outside the bathroom door in the hallway and I'm thinking okay what's going on here mm-hmm. so the next day we shut the camp down it was uh, the fall we were packing all of the equipment down to the beach and then this boat came we hired and they anchored out it was actually the first whale watching boat of British Columbia called Gekame. It's a famous wood boat that still plies our coast. Mm. But if anyone had Telegraph Cove whale watching, they'd know about that boat. So anyway, the anchor's out. We loaded up with all the gear, put the speedboat in tow, and we're sitting on deck having a smoke as we leave the bay. And I tell Trevor, say goodbye to the native anchorage. We won't be here until next year. And all of a sudden, we waved, and then he looked at me, and he goes, that was a Sasquatch yesterday. It was sleeping behind our trailer when i got there with the trailer hitch it stood up and it looked at me and it was huge and it was covered in hair and it just turned and ran into the bush and wow. i said i figured it was a sasquatch and so we talked about it and you know that sort of confirmed me that you know sasquatches were around some of the odd things we'd heard or smelled mm-hmm. or saw it's true the sasquatches are out there and you know 
it was, you know, it was eye opening, I guess you could say. And the winter comes by and I go back the following year and I work the summer program. And because you're never down in our saltwater environment during the summer, because you're up in the mountain alpines harvesting food up there, which I would learn later. But anyway, there's no Sasquatches through the summer. And in the fall, I'm once again in my bed reading a book by candlelight, and I hear this roar down the channel in one of the islands. I'm thinking, uh-oh, they're back. And then I hear a second <laughs> roar from a different island offshore. You know, I'm talking, you know, mile apart, mile and a half apart, these islands. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, these things are back. And then what I thought was a deer eating the plums in the plum trees behind my trailer because we had the trailer at a old abandoned homestead from the early 1900s so there's plum trees oh, and this man. is you know late september so they're right they're ripe and i'm thinking it was a deer out there well there then came this god-awful roar like some 20 feet behind my trailer and i tell you i lifted <laughs> off that mattress my hair stood up. I'm like, oh, my God. And I could hear my heart pounding, and I was terrified. <laughs> I'll bet. And I'm thinking, I grabbed my shotgun, pulling it close to me, making sure my 30 30 is there on the floor, ready to go. And I'm thinking, as this thing's crashing around and it roared again, big hairy arm's going to come through my window, and, oh, no, I'm going to get killed. And I'm yeah. just freaked out. And that's when I just thought, okay, you're out here by yourself. Man up. So I banged the side of the camper, the trailer, <laughs> as loud as I could. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, can't you hear? I'm sleeping in here. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he did this. <laughs> and then crack, crack, crack. Is this big bipedal creature, this Sasquatch, walked away from the plum trees and disappeared and left me alone. And, you know, to me, that was a sort of a turning point in my bush life. Right. I now knew there's nothing to fear but fear itself, as I was taught. And that the Sasquatches aren't monsters. You know, they're mm -hmm. willing to understand and have reason i told him i wasn't happy with him there and he listened and he respectfully walked away wow. and one of my first experiences with sasquatch and that year a year later we at the same place we would go in there with our boat and drop our anchor at night we we're cooking crabs on deck on a propane cook stove and uh damned if we didn't hear something hit the side of that trailer like you know it was definitely a something against the side of a trailer 10 you could hear that kabang and then we smell this god-awful smell, and then in the moonlight, no wind, no clouds, you could see two big forms that were bipedal walk in front of that 10-by-10-foot 10 10 cedar sun-bleached edition, and then the part of the trailer. And right there, we knew what it was, and then you heard this big whistle chirp, and I go, <laughs> and wow. right then and there, you knew darn well it was two Sasquatches. So we would put our spotlight on and we'd illuminate them. And I was a commercial fish boat, some, you know, over 55 feet long and wood with a huge spotlight about a foot in diameter. So when I hit that on switch, I illuminated that, that beach. And there was a big male that dropped on his knee and pulled his uh, right arm in front of his face to hide from the light. Mm -hmm. And this huge female on the beach dropped on her knees and put her head onto the ground, like in a fetal position, but on her knees. And you could see her one eye sort of peeking out under her right arm. And for 20 minutes, we watched them in our spotlight, trying to get them to move, mm -hmm. trying to take pictures of them, but we didn't have 35 millimeter film in the camera. And after 20 minutes, we shut the spotlight off. They moved into the bush and pushed over a big dead hemlock tree, basically a pine tree that was rotten. And when we truthed it the next day, it was some seven, eight inches in diameter. So it was a big tree and it was probably about 30 feet high that had pushed down. But through the night, we had another hour and a half of seeing it again, lighting it up with a spotlight. And, you know, that's when I really became a believer. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget just how big and muscular and how wide those shoulders are of a Sasquatch, big male. That's incredible. <laughs> and lo and behold, I gave it about an hour, but I went to look where that tree branch was bouncing across the creek. And there were big tracks. It was a Sasquatch. 
I, I got to give you credit though for banging on that the side of that after that roar just happened. I, I because you hear stories of people hearing the intensity of their of their vocalizations, and some people talk about even losing consciousness just because you know it's so powerful. You know? Oh yeah, you hear about people you know saying, "Oh, I almost lost consciousness." And then yeah. the next you know the next guy will tell you that they saw it cloak or it jumped through a porthole or it jumped in a UFO and took off or it mind speak with them. Sure. That's what I call being so shit scared that the mental band-aid kicks in. And oh. what the mental band-aid to me is, is when you talk to people who have been had a very traumatic experience, be it an airplane or helicopter crash, being raped, uh, molested as a child, they don't talk about it constantly. Sure. And you know, it, it's, 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 sort of it's hidden in the depths of their memory. Some have to go to counseling, of course, but the majority of them, it's just something that happened that they don't share with everyone. And that's what I believe seeing a Sasquatch. It's so traumatic. It's so mesmerizing. It scares the bejesus out of you right. that, you know, a mental bandaid kicks in and that's where all what we call the woo woo kicks in the cloaking, the UFO flying portal, jumping mind reading red glowing eyes, like, spotlights come out it's they're so shit scared that their mind just starts making up things i guess you could say mm. that's how i look at it because i lived in bush for decades you know i went in the bush in 1989 i'd come out live in the town and that from time to time but most of the time my work was involved in the bush and i would be a native watchman commercial fisherman which is bush because you're out anchored out in the middle of timbuk nowhere and sure. bays most people will never see in their life where the head of some inlet or so forth and then I would eventually start a sea kayak company, grizzly bear boat tours, orca whale boat tours, survival courses. Wow. I have two cabin locations that are here on Vancouver Island east side north that are reminiscent of ancient Kwakwaka'wakw Walk or coastal First Nations homes because they're built to red cedar, they're rectangular, they have native designs on them. And I call them my baby big houses because the smallest ones are eight by tw 10 and the bigger ones I think are 12 by four, 16. Mm. But, uh, I do all these eco tourism adventures and, uh, it's sort of evolved because I've had so many encounters with Sasquatch, Jonaha, that I know where they are, uh, being a hunting guide that specialized in grizzly bears for over 20 years. And I was a safari club international sought after guide. You know, I'd go to the, conferences in Las Vegas and Reno every year to Spark Club International selling our grizzly bear and black bear and black-tailed deer hunts and I was based on a hundred foot yacht and then later on I would do it on my own and you know I sort of got you know recognition as one of the leading Indian grizzly bear hunting guides of North America so I was always in bush and you know you you learn things it's just sure. normal but one of the things I learned a lot of people out there, oh, there's no such thing as a Sasquatch. You were just imagining it. I'm a hunter. I'm a logger. I'm a mushroom picker, geologist, forest worker, hiker. There's no such thing. I've been out there for decades. Mm -hmm. Then I look at him. You ever notice out in the bush that you hear a branch move? You turn around and you look and there's a branch bouncing away. But there's no bird. There's no bear cub, no cougar cub, no raccoon. And they look at you kind of odd and they go, yeah, it's happened, you know, half a dozen times. Why? I said, what that is, is the Sasquatch, we must always respect. You never, ever think of going to hunt them and kill them. And if they give you that moment, great. Of seeing them or swelling them or hearing them. Mm -hmm. But the Sasquatch, it's all about respect. That's what our tribe teaches us in every Indian tribe in North America. And the Sasquatch will grab a branch and see you and pull it down and they peek at you. And they notice you're a bush dancer. It means you walk comfortably, easily through the bush and the slippery rocks and maybe the avalanche scree or whatever. And then it realizes that you're at home in the forest, on the beach, on the riverbank as much as they are. So it pulls the branch down even further and they let it go and they turn and walk away. And as the branch bounces, it's telling you, I saw you. I know you're here. I'm here too. I'm going about my business and leaving you alone. And I said, and if you go look underneath those bouncing branches, you'll probably find their tracks in most cases. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, right away, the guys look at you and go, 
son of a gun, that is, that has happened to me quite a bit. And, you know, then later on you get an email or a private message on Messenger phone going, you were right. I had a branch bouncing when I was doing some prospecting for gold this spring. And lo and behold, I gave it about an hour, but I went and looked where that tree branch was bouncing across the creek. And there were big tracks. It wasn't Sasquatch. So that's what I mean by learning things. See, what I'm done is I sit there and I watch these Sasquatch shows on TV. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, I roll my eyes and shake my head and go, oh, that poor person. So out of touch. You know, they're speculating this and speculating that. They're tree banging. You know, why would you tree bang? You know, tree knock. Sure. You go to conferences and people are selling the bats and everyone's buying them and people are out there on their television shows banging trees. Well, when a Sasquatch bangs a tree, that's telling the human, stop, turn around, go back where you came from. Me and I am up here or my family and I are up here. Please turn around and leave. Every Indian knows that. Mm. We, we abide by the tree knock. We give them the respect. So do a 180 and walk away from them and leave them be. That's why we don't end up in missing 411 with Mr. Pallades <laughs> because we respect the Sasquatch. So here you have all these TV shows and people selling knockers banging on trees. That's why like, I like to joke around. You know, there's a group called BFRO. I think it stands for Bang Forest Research Organization. <laughs> okay. I'm just joking to those guys that are members <laughs> as well. Take it in stride. Be it like, and that's another thing. Like our community, our Sasquatch big community, it's about learning. Yeah. And one of the things when I came out of the Peggy and I, my my common law wife here in Kent, Washington, and I work up in Canada, Vancouver Island all the time. I just got down here a couple of days ago. But anyway, when I first got together there, I was a bushman. You know, I just finished a bad relationship. I was living up in Haida Gwaii, Queen Charlotte Islands with my children, the mother of my children at the time, and we split up. So I went straight to northeastern Vancouver Island to my traditional territories of the Mamliacha tribe with the Pakwakiwak. I went to Bush. That's where I'm like a Sasquatch. I'm comfortable out there. I can make money out there, and I never go hungry. There's a lot of food. But also after my, I guess you could say my divorce, I went rogue Sasquatch. I was ready to put some people on Tom's missing 411 list, I tell you. <laughs> and if I stayed on Vancouver Island, I think I probably would be in that Crowbar Hotel prison right now because I was very angry. Sure. So what you do when you go rogue, you do like a Sasquatch. Go deeper into the bush. Stay away from the hairless, stinky humans that did you wrong. And that's what I did for months. And then all of a sudden, Peggy and I communicated on cell phone. And then she came up in late spring on a float plane from Seattle to my traditional territories. And I guess you could say she calmed the rogue. Her and I laid our cards on the table out in the bush. We committed to each other. And then it took me a while of coming down to Seattle. I'd last maybe 10 days. And all of a sudden, Peggy would catch me looking out the window at trees and Mount Rainier with this beautiful snow and volcano look mm-hmm. and she goes Tom you're looking at the bush again go north go back to your bush and then I do that I go up work in the bush or harvest or just live come back out again and that's where our relationship was for about five years until I really started to dig my roots in with her mm-hmm. down here in Kent, Washington and we're sitting on the couch watching TV and there was a couple men that would become my good friends Bobo and Cliff Berrickman. Sure. And I'm watching their show with uh, Moneymaker and uh, Renee. And I looked at Peggy and I'm like, what do they mean if Sasquatch exists? What do they mean there's a possibility Sasquatches could be in this area? I said, the Sasquatch is everywhere. They're just the humans of the night. They're the bigger humans. They're all over the place. And she goes, you believe in Sasquatch? Now, you got to remember, this is a well-educated woman living south of Seattle in an urban environment, Condoville, <laughs> and uh, has a great career and college degree. And here's her Indian partner for life sitting on the couch saying he believes in Sasquatches. So it threw her off guard. And then she chose to be educated about it. So mm-hmm. she asked more questions. And then all of a sudden, she's like, let me keep getting angry at all these guys writing these books and that because they keep calling your Kwakwakiwak Sasquatch Bukwis instead of Chunakwa because Bukwis is our little creature from the spiritual realm that's hair covered and bipedal otherwise known as stick men or the little people and then uh, 
you know, and you're reading these books that people are making all these mistakes. Why don't you start educating people Mm -hmm. and conferences? And so we went to a conference and met Les Stroud, which was cool. And, uh, you know, got to see Jeff, uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum by his book. You know, when I got home and read it once again, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, the Pockwocky Walk people, Sasquatch is the bequest that fired in against the wall. I'm like, oh, for God's sake. Can't they talk to a damn Indian and get the names right and the creatures right? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, maybe you should do a podcast. And I'm like, what's a podcast? And she educated me. I didn't know what it was. And then, uh, it just so happened that at the same time she's educating this engine about podcasting, I get an email from uh, Wes Germer from Sasquatch Chronicles. So I went and listened to a few of the podcasts that he did, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll answer his email. And I answered it, and he put me on, and all of a sudden all of his listenership said, you know, get that Indian on again. We want to learn more. And next thing <laughs> you know, I did half a dozen shows with him, and you know, the one that I really opened up the eyes of the people that are enthusiasts for Sasquatch Bigfoot is when I did, I believe it was a uh, two episode mm-hmm. and it's Sasquatch and smallpox where I educated people on the connection between the Indian people and the Sasquatches back in the smallpox epidemics that would come to North America after contact where the Sasquatches would show up at the edge of our villages, holding their young and dragging their sick covered in smallpox standing at the edge of the village in the wood and the chiefs would go out there and see that and tell their men to go into the houses and bring forth their sick and their children that are covered in smallpox and when the two bipedal creatures looked at one another with their families dying of smallpox the sasquatches simply hung their heads in sorrow turned and walked into the forest and in one place two places when I did the interviews with the elders, they told me that we thought they went extinct from the smallpox and uh, Spanish flu because mm-hmm. we never saw them again. But now we're starting to see and hear them more and more. And I said, no, they never went extinct. I said, look at us Indians. Mm-hmm. Over 126 million in the Americas would die after contact from smallpox, influenza, tuberculosis, venereal disease, and lead poisoning from bullets. But then in 1965, when I was born, my tribe would have some 800 or so people, the Kwakwakiwak from northeastern Vancouver Island region. But now in in 2020, we would number over, I think, 8,000 or something. So Mm -hmm. my Indian tribe has proliferated like bunny rabbits since 1965. It's kind of coincidental that 1967, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin filmed Patty. And then we start seeing, in modern times, more and more sightings of Sasquatches. But at the same turn, we can look at the Indians of North America, and we number in the, hun- in the millions, because we've proliferated like bunny rabbits and survived the epidemics of diseases. Mm-hmm. Well, that same thing has happened for the Sasquatch, and that's why we're seeing and hearing about more and more of them. So I firmly believe, especially even after two weeks ago when I got a trail camera that got knocked off a stump and it was lying on the forest floor and moss in a bottleneck junction. You know, I'm a hunter. I know where to lay trail cameras in most cases. And there's two 16 inch tracks in the moss. And then we take the card out and we analyze it. Something knocked it down, spun the camera a few times because there's different pictures of up above and one picture with a little bit of hair sticking out mm-hmm. and the last picture we all got floored there's a blob squatch blur squatch but you can see it in the frame in the top right corner two beady white eyes a nose a pronounced filtrum area meaning the cleft between the top of the lip and the bottom of the nose is very pronounced and deep whereas we humans you can put one finger there on the sasquatch in relationship to the size of its face is about three or four fingers deep. Wow. So we got a blob, a blur squatch, you know, and I was ecstatic. I'm like, finally bagged and tagged the big fellow with a trail camera. It can be done. I know it can be done. <laughs> you just got to put it in an area where once they get on that trail of theirs, they're committed. Meaning there is a reason why they're on that trail. And then when you get in the bottleneck, like we did and we hit it, two cameras in a certain way, 
you know, you can come up spades and bag and tag. You know, a few people have already, so you got to keep working. There's no such thing when you hear that person whine, go trail cameras don't work. Swing your trail camera and knock them upside the head and give them some sense that, yeah, they do work. Because I've seen numerous pictures of Sasquatches from trail cameras. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I, I did see the one picture that you posted or the couple pictures you posted. And I got to admit, those are pretty con- pretty convincing. Uh, I, I was really <clears throat> impressed by that. Oh, we got that uh, Stephen Major, who you met at uh, Madeline Falls. Yep. His, uh, doing all the TV shows now and that. But uh, he's got Peggy and I going to be starring in one of them in November. But anyway, Stephen Major came up with Adam Davies. You know, Adam Davies sure. found the Yeti for Josh Gates with Expedition Bigfoot right. a few years back. But uh, we took him out on a yacht out of Campbell River three and a half years ago in the wintertime in February. And as uh, soon as we get, you know, we leave Campbell River and we're planning on going like leagues into the Timbuk nowhere. And because it was, we had to catch a tide window at Seymour Narrows and it was uh, night. We felt we'd grab the first anchorage and travel by day. That way we could sell them. So we went into this little place, little inlet bay. And this time of year in the summer, it's full of yachts and yip-yap imitation dogs going to the beach and dinghies to piddle and poop. But the wintertime, there's no one there. Right. So we pull in there and uh, we drop anchor and we all go up on the top deck of this yacht. And we're all smoking cigarettes because you can't smoke inside and beautiful half moon out, little bit of wispy clouds, stars, just gorgeous, beautiful, no wind, cold as a witch's heart. And uh, all of a sudden I go to Adam, hey, Adam, why don't you make one of those Sasquatch sounds? And he's like, well, this is a mountain gorilla sound. And he's telling us all about it. He does this big roar and bellow. And damned when he stopped, it's not five seconds later we got an answer from up on the forested hill and we're all just like wow <laughs> we picked the right place baby yeah so you know we heard that which was pretty cool and then the next night because you don't just go out on a boat to go find sasquatches in the pacific northwest you got to do it wisely you got to know how to read the tide book so you have a huge low tide at night mm-hmm. and that way the shellfish beds are exposed so you can also go get your shellfish, but so can Sasquatch. Oh. So we're anchored out. We're flooring and everything, nothing. And uh, we all had a couple wines, go to bed because we we're pretty tired. Everyone traveled that day. Next morning, we got up and we went and truth the beach, set up trail cameras. And I'm sitting there going, look, you can see the broken cockle shells, a type of shellfish on the coast, like a clam and a scallop, mm-hmm. sort of an in-between. But it's a delicacy to Indians and Sasquatches. So I'm like, hey, see all these broken cockle shells? There's still meat inside some of the broken ones. This has been left by a Sasquatch. And what it's to tell us is, I'm here right now. This is my beach to shellfish dig. So as an Indian, if we come here to clam dig, which we haven't, we've come here to anchor out. Now we're Sasquatch investigating. But if you did come to this bay and you come ashore in the daytime during the smaller tide, upper tide, and that one was almost high, but at the high tide mark, you see the broken shells. It's a sign by Sasquatch to please respect me. This is my shellfish digging beach. Mm-hmm. So you get in your boat, you go a mile north or west, east or south or whatever, and you do the same thing. If you find no broken cockle shells, then you dig there because the Sasquatch ain't there. So I show him on the north side of the beach, these broken cockle shells. Tells us there's a Sasquatch here. We go to the opposite side of the beach where there's rotten snow under the trees because it snowed a week prior but the beaches have no snow we get over there and lo and behold another pile of cockle shells broken so i'm like yeah what we heard last night i think we got a sasquatch here so we go back to the boat and then seven six o'clock at night it's hour before low water and i remember it was a really big low water of one foot low so we get to the beach and two zodiacs and we're filming and I'm showing that we're digging. I found the beach when we got there. Right away we started digging and there wasn't much. And then we started to disperse and started to explore. And I actually have to grab Adam Davies' shoulder. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. And we're on the exposed sands of the beach. He's like, what? And I'm like, look, the Sasquatch tracks. You can see these massive imprints in the soft sands of the beach amongst the, bro- the broken shells of 
everyone come over and we got pictures and measurements and I'm like, look, you can see where the thing's been digging. Yeah, we got a Sasquatch here. So we dug some shellfish, filmed it. You know, we're trying to get a feed for ourselves too for a clam chowder or something. Mm -hmm. And then we heard something and uh, we had the spotlight out, handheld spotlight, and I caught a little bit of uh, reflection. I think I caught a tree peak. It could have been a water droplet on a leaf. I don't know. It wasn't okay. a confirmed. It was sure. just something. So we stuck around, and then we all got into the Zodiacs and went back to the boat because the tide was rising. And uh, a few hours later, Adam Davies is on the back deck of the yacht having a cigarette. And he not opens the door. He goes, Tom, you better come out here and take a look at this. So I go out and grab the monoscope FLIR 2, and uh, I pointed to what Adam told me to, and lo and behold, there's a big heat signature bipedal something. At first, I thought it was a bear because it was just one big blob on the beach. Mm -hmm. But you got to remember, the tide's been rising for a few hours now. The shellfish beds are covered, the sediment sands. The half part of the beach is where the big boulders are. And I'm talking like an avalanche chute. It's a boulder city from the size of your hand right up to the size of a pickup truck. Wow. But there's this big bipedal, this big image on there in the floor. And then all of a sudden it stands up and starts walking and arms swinging. I'm like, oh, Lee. And then we're all sharing it. And I had the wherewithal to grab my cell phone and put my floor to the camera device, take, took some still pictures and some videos. And, uh, but you know, and then, uh, I was able to record cause that slur didn't record. And we were able to have that recording of that Sasquatch walking on the beach. Mm. And that was pretty cool. You know, we got 16 minutes of coverage all together and everyone got to see it on board that boat. You know, Adam Davies, uh, what do you call it? Stephen major, the captain on board, his daughter, Victoria Williams, who works with me with wild woman media are, television production company doing Sasquatch documentaries and shows and my wife Peggy. So we all got to see it and it was like really cool. And our videographer was on board as well. Luke from, uh, from Connor enterprises, but we got to see it. And then the next day, what do you do? You go to the beach to truth it. What were they eating at that part? What was it eating on that beach? Where are the tracks? Well, Boulder city, no tracks. So all of a sudden I point to everyone, look, there's a thing called a limpet. It's otherwise known as a Chinese hat. It's a shellfish like an abalone that have stuck to the rocks. Well, all of the ones that are about two inches to two and a half inches in diameter with a lot of meat, they're gone from the rocks in this given area. But all the smaller ones, the size of your pinky nail, you can see them. So that's what that Sasquatch was eating. We had found a shellfish beach that was very limited amounts of, of clams and cockles as it probably got dug out by commercial diggers in the Sasquatch. And then here on the opposite shore at half tide, it's out on the beach eating China hats. So that's the law of the bush. You don't go hungry. You mm. diversify or you die. It knew there was no shellfish on that beach. It had been trying because we've seen the evidence tracks and dig holes, but with the humans anchored out on a boat to be that far out on the open beach is not wise. So that Sasquatch, I think, chose to stay in the bush as the shellfish beaches were exposed. But as the tide rose, it stepped out of the bush some maybe 30 feet down onto the boulder part of the beach and started eating the China hats limpets. So that's investigating Sasquatch. And they, even that night, we put Adam Davies on the beach so that we could use the flare Fleur to get size estimates of what that bipedal sure. creature was the night before. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, Adam got roared at from about 10 feet away, a Sasquatch, that Sasquatch <laughs> in the bush. And uh, we had to go in and pick him up and it was all slippery and the rain was falling. The Fleur wasn't working, but basically it was a snafu from the get go. And as I went in to pick up Adam on the Zodiac, uh, my wife was helping him on the bow of the Zodiac to get on board. I put the spotlight up, and lo and behold, a perfect tree peak. And I got to see his face. But I've seen it numerous times. To me, they're just humans of the night. Sure. Big hairy critters that are out there. But that was a, that was a good experience. Yeah, that's incredible. And you look under the foliage, and sure enough, I saw the big calves and feet of a big hairy black sasquatch. 
and and I, I love uh, what you're talking about with the different strategies and stuff because and that's the information that I think is so missing is is and what you're providing is this different take on it and and a take that comes from a lot of history and a lot of experience through the tribal cultures and stuff. That's what I think is so powerful. Well, it's what I, we call ingenuity. <laughs> well, we do it. <laughs> so, as you know, as an award-winning grizzly bear hunting guide and sports fishing guide for salmon and halibut, you know, it wasn't because I fluked out. It's because I took the time to listen to my elders and my teachers mm. that were mainly native or experts in that field. And, you know, spending and honing my skill. You know, I was always out there and still am as much as I can. I'm actually heading to Canada in two days and back to Bush again. But uh, ingenuity, and that's what I'm bringing to the whole Sasquatch Bigfoot human community. So all of us enthusiasts and those with egos that call themselves researchers, you're not a researcher in my books until you actually have a subject like Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall. Those two ladies were researchers. Which one of us has a Sasquatch individual or group that we're doing a Dion Fossey, Jane Goodall interaction with? None of us. Right. So we're all investigators. This is the egomaniacs that are calling themselves Sasquatch researchers. Oh. It's just my take on things. I'm not, you know, being nasty to anyone. It's just, you know, it's just how we have to really look at the whole equation because uh, when you like when we're in Medellin Falls. Someone said something about all of us the first night sitting outside smoking cigarettes, having some beverages outside the Washington Hotel, all us investigators and uh, performers and basically Sasquatch celebrities, I like to call mm-hmm. this group. And I made a comment about you can cut the air, it's so thick with egos right now. <laughs> and that's one of the greatest problems in our Sasquatch Bigfoot human community. You know, there's Every, a lot of the people have that I and only me and my show mentality and my podcast. Sure. We have to reach out to one another, work with one another, cooperate with one another. Sure, we get in our spats from time to time. Todd Neese and I, we have, you know, we fight like a couple bingo palace women sometimes, but we kiss <laughs> and make up, so to speak, sure. have a beer together again like we did at Medellin Falls. And that's what it's all about. Be human, but be a wise human. Mm-hmm. You know, don't control your ego. But at the same turn, don't try to backstab or hold back or crab syndrome, drag down your fellow Sasquatch celebrity investigator. Work with them. And if you don't want to work with them, don't pay them any attention. But, you know, that's what I'm bringing a message to our community that we have to really look in the mirror and, you know, tell ourselves, you know, was that wise what I did to so-and-so or said about Mm so-and-so? You know, you look at Rick DiRiolo. You know, he's the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to our community embracing one another respectfully. You know, he's such a disrespectful, evil little human, and we need to rid him from our community. You know, people, when they share his posts and so forth, need to question themselves. Do I really want to share this backstabbing little peon, or should I just delete him and forget (laughs) about him? Because that's the best thing for our community. Sure. No, I think you're right, and, and I think that it's it's important to cooperate and share information. And I got to, you know, I got to tell you, when I got into the into the podcasting game, um, I was kind of thinking, well, it's going to be comp- competitive, very competitive, and you know, people are going to be you know territorial, and and it was it was going to be a challenge. But what I what I found was quite different, and I have Wes to thank for that, and you know that he was really a, a dear friend first and foremost and came and has been so helpful to me and my show. And I, I know that that's where I found out about you, which is awesome as well, because, you know, I wouldn't have known all of these things that you bring to the table if it hadn't been for your appearance on Sasquatch Chronicles. But I'm, I'm so thrilled that you're out there and that you're doing what you're doing and you're bringing this knowledge to all of us because it, everybody that contributes, I think, stands to I- improve things. For all of us. Oh, yeah. Like, that's why my group on Facebook, Sasquatch Island, mm-hmm. and then I have my website, which is uh, basically just a little bit on the expeditions I do. I got to, you know, I apologize to everyone out there. I got to uh, get into construction with my wife here on SasquatchIsland.com. And then I have YouTube channel, Sasquatch Island. And I worked with Monster X Radio for quite some time. And I have podcast Sasquatch Island on MonsterXRadio.com. And it's not about ego. Hey, listen to me. I'm Tom Seawit. Look, this is what I look like. I'm an Indian investigator. It's not about that. It's about 
my decades, a lifetime as a commercial fisherman flying the entire British Columbia coast and up into Alaska and elsewhere, being a bushman, going to live in places most people will never go to, like Queen Charlotte Island, Haida Gwaii. I live there uh, throughout northern Vancouver Island in the bush areas, Northwest Territories. I lived there for a year outside of Yellowknife. Mm-hmm. and traveling to places like Macy, Nebraska, to the Omaha Indian Reserve, and learning so much in three trips out there, and about Sitonga, their Sasquatch. And then every other skill I have, be it starting a fire when your lighter's wet out in a bush, or how to find shellfish, how to find Sasquatch, it's all there in Sasquatch Island and all those different areas, because I want to help everyone own their skills better as a Sasquatch investigator. Mm-hmm. I want them to come out with the crispy video pictures of Sasquatch and hopefully they get that Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey interaction where they can take their cell phone or their video camera and show the med car sole or whatever you call it, break on the bottom of the sole of the foot of a Sasquatch, show the epidermal ridges, show the toenails, mm-hmm. show the scars on the legs show the fingerprints when that Sasquatch yawns or goes to bite a piece of food you've brought him and please don't bring him peanut butter and chocolate. Keep it traditional natural foods that grow meat and fish and uh, veg and fruit. And maybe they'll videotape the, in their mouth and we'll see the plaque build up on their teeth. We'll see the chipped teeth and we'll know for sure whether they have canines or no canines or like us humans, uh, evolved canine that's smaller. We don't know, but with the magic of the cameras nowadays, we can get that. And that's what my job is, is the Indian Sasquatch guide and is to help you hone those skills. So you get that crispy video picture and also cooperate with one another. You know, that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the big message is respect the Sasquatch. Please don't ever think of going out to kill him. Yes, I pack a shotgun in most cases when I'm out in bush, but that's for bears or wolves or cougars because I don't trust any one of those three critters because I've had my fair share of run-ins with them. And thankfully, mm-hmm. I wasn't a steaming coiler of poop in the forest a day later from them. I was <laughs> had a gun and I harvested them. I food social ceremonial harvest within 10 feet. And trust me, I've eaten those animals, all three of them, mm-hmm. because they came at me. Wow. That's got to so, be you know. Horrifying. So one of my best things I did was, uh, it's called putting a jig on something. So that's an Indian term meaning tricking. So turning the table, I guess, would be another mm-hmm. way of saying it. So I built these cabins in 2012, 2013 on my Indian Reserve Island of 250 acres off Telegraph Cove, northeastern Vancouver Island. The island's actually called Compton. If you go to Compton Island, you'll see these five cabins that look like native-style big houses we built. And I had a couple of tribe members helping me and a non-Indian carpenter named Steph, who was probably six foot six, mm. lanky, strong, professional carpenter. Well, when we brought Steph to the island, he had this huge metal aluminum toolbox in the speedboat that took two of us to pack down the ramp and on the boat. And it took me and Darcy to lug it up to the beach above the high tide mark. And, you know, we we're working out there for months. Mm-hmm. In late fall, Steph got busy with a contract, so he didn't get back out until the end of October. Well, by that time, me and the two workers that are still living and working out there, we're having all kinds of activity from Sasquatches because they come off the mountains and into that lower area for the shellfish in winter around mid-October beginning. But I'm telling them, watch out, you guys. We got, you know, when you go to the outhouse, maybe go in twos. We got Sasquatches about here's their trails, their observation decks looking into our camp. Here's where it's standing, looking over the tarp, covering our tools, where we're sitting at the picnic table in the evening. So the Sasquatches are definitely around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, one night, it's just me and Darcy at the camp complex. And there's no tourists no more. Leaves are falling. It's getting cold. And I put my camo on. And I put my gun out the cabin door, the window. And I crawl out. And Darcy's like, what are you doing? Quit teasing the Sasquatches. I said, I'm not teasing them. I'm going to go try to see what the Sasquatch looks like. Mm-hmm. So I tell him, I said, don't you dare shoot that gun unless I tell you to shoot. You see me. So I sneak out the window, but as we were working, we were raking leaves and piling branches and I was doing it strategically. So I had berms that I could sneak out of the cabin and work my way without being seen by an ob- observing Sasquatch to the oh. entrance to the outhouse trail. 
Mm-hmm. So as I'm skirting through the bush, some 70 feet, I guess, I get to the entrance of the outhouse trail, and I crawl in this big pile of dry alder leaves, and I bury myself sitting up with my shotgun. And I'm all covered, and just my eyes can see out. And uh, just getting dark, and all of a sudden I can hear something, and then I can see this big, black, skinny, lanky, tall Sasquatch coming towards the trail. And the trail is an old skitter track from the logging days back in the early 1900s. So as it gets to the edge, it's like a five-foot berm, and it grabs this alder tree with its left hand, and it lowers itself down with its right leg onto the trail, not 10 feet from my pile of leaves. And it's looking at the back of my cabin where Darcy is and where I just snuck out. And all of a sudden I come shooting out of those leaves. I'm like, Hey, Sasquatch, what are you doing? <laughs> and that Sasquatch, the eyes went big It jumped and pulled the tree. It jumped on the bank, the leaves, the trees snapping back and forth. Leaves are falling. I'm laughing. And the Sasquatch just looks at me and it's just like, rah, rah, it turns and it runs through the bush. And I'm laughing away. I go back to the cabin. Darcy's, what are you doing? I told you not to tease the Sasquatch. I'm like, Don't worry about it. I said, I know what he looks like now. It's a teenager. And I think it's father, the big one, is teaching the young one. If there's any human you can, can't can sneak up on, it's that stinky human there, meaning me. Because I lived there for 26 years. They know me by scent and sight. Oh, sure. So anyway, you know, it, I think the father was teaching his young one. You try to sneak into that camp and steal their apples and garlic without being caught or seen you're honing your skill as a Sasquatch. And that's the best test case. That's the only way I can rationalize the whole experience of that being probed and being observed. And then me putting the jig on that Sasquatch popping out of those leaves. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's all fun and big games that night. There is no rocks thrown at us like eight Canyon. There's no big hairy arm coming through the window. So I thought, okay, it's over. And, uh, couple days later, Steph shows up, the non-native guy, and he starts finishing his carpentry contract. And as he's working, finishing the siding and the door on one of the cabins, I'm painting this uh, native design on one of the other cabins interior because it's for a tourist operation. And all of a sudden, you hear this big crack. And I look, you know, you don't look into the bush, you squat like a ape and you look under the foliage. And sure enough, I saw the big calves and feet of a big hairy black Sasquatch and the pad, the soles coming up as it's walking away. What it did was it stepped on a big dead alder tree. And uh-huh. when we seen the break, it was about 12 to 13 inches in diameter of a rotten dead alder tree, a hardwood. So uh-huh. what it was doing was giving us that tree snap, like <clears throat> mm-hmm. I'm here, you know, I'm not happy with you. That's what it's all about. <laughs> That's the message. Okay. So I'm like, Steph, Steph, look, you can see its foot. And Steph didn't bend down. He's, oh, you're just pulling my leg. There's no such thing. It's naturally broken. So we went about work. About an hour and a half later, I go out and check on Steph. I look into the forest up the hill, and it's all hardwood alder trees, and the leaves now are probably well past 50 60% dropped on the forest floor. So I can see into the forest now. Mm-hmm. And there's a big cedar stump that we'd see every day that was probably... 10 feet in diameter from when they logged it in the early 1920s, mm-hmm. late 1920s. But I look at it and I'm like, that's odd. I'm thinking that tree stump, that cedar stump doesn't look like it used to look. So I, Darcy, bring me the scope for the gun. We had a three by nine uh, Bushnell scope. Actually, I'm looking at it right now in a box, Bushnell box. And he brings it over and he shoves it in front of my face and stole in the box. I'm like, take it out of the box. I can't move my eyes. <laughs> And he takes the scope out of the box. And I say, crank it right up to nine. So he cranks it up to nine power. And I lift up the scope and I look at the stump. And there's that big daddy Sasquatch. He's leaning against the cedar stump, but he's pulled, like I did a couple nights before, alder leaves all over the bottom end of his body. And he's just <laughs> sitting there eyeballing us. And I give the scope. And I'm like looking at him. And all of a sudden, now that he knows I'm really beating in on him, and so is Darcy and Steph. That Sasquatch just gave me that big grimace, and you could see the tendons in his neck and the muscles and his face curl up and wrinkle. Mm-hmm. And he just gives me that, <sighs> that look of anger. And all of a sudden, he stands up to his full, almost eight-foot height, and he just turns and walks up the hill. Well, Steph, he was like, 
That's it. This is like working in bloody Iraq or Afghanistan. You guys walking around with guns and Sasquatches. I've had enough. They don't pay me enough to be out here. And he starts running his stuff down to the speedboat. And next you know, I look at Darcy. I go, hey, look at Steph. There he is with that big aluminum toolbox that took two of us to carry. And he's carrying it by himself and slams it to the speedboat. Get me the hell out of here. So we had to run him out to his vehicle on Vancouver Island. And never saw Steph again. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a paradigm shifter right there, huh? Oh yeah, scared <laughs> the bejesus out of them. I can imagine. I mean, I, I you know, again, it's hard to reconcile what that would be like to to see and and to know that you know how powerful they are and how how emasculating that would feel. But uh, you know, I can only imagine. Um, it's it's incredible, brother, and and. I hope you'll agree to come back and, and dive deeper into this because I know we could talk for hours and hours and hours and never get, never get through everything that you could share, but I hope you'll come back. Oh, just keep getting me on there. I'd be glad to come back. You know, next one we should talk about is the rogues and the missing four, how it correlates to missing four one one and uh, other missing people reports throughout North America. It's something I've sort of dove into a while ago and, been doing quite a bit of research on it but it's it's scary some of the things i've heard like you know i just heard at medaline falls about from one of the indian tribe members that were up there that on uh, one of the washington state indian reservations they knew that they couldn't go to this certain area for generations because that's the area where the humans of the night lived the other tribe the sasquatches mm-hmm. well few Indians, I guess, with their quads and motorbikes figure out, we don't need to listen to that hokum. And they went into this area, all kinds of things were happening. And they kept going back and, you know, they're hunting animals in there and doing, shooting their guns and just being disrespectful to the Sasquatch. Well, I guess one of them, something happened, but one of them was behind with his machine. And when they went back to get him, they found him dead and his face had been torn off and ground into the tree trunk and as a message stay the hell on your side of the line so there's a lot of stuff that you know there's indians i talk to on the missing human equation you know and like i say i think it's a good subject for the next one so if you listeners out there you know come back again definitely come listen to and join his group and listen to more and don't forget to hit that share button so other people will know and send messages out on your social media and tweets and that, that, Hey, you got to listen to this Tom when he was with uh, Brett on paranormal. And then, you know, so more people come for the next thing and listen to it. That's what it's all about. Promoting one another, push uh, what we call in our, my language, pachala. It means to push someone up. If you pachala your chief and make him look good and make him wealthy, and you, in turn, as tribe members beneath, will benefit as well the same way. And that's what the whole Sasquatch Bigfoot podcast, video cast, television shows, investigating is all about. We push each other up because if they look good and sound good and get new, more viewers and listeners and subscribers, we all benefit beneath. That's the way I look at it. Well, amen, brother, and, and by all means, uh, you know, check out Sasquatch Island as well, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Tom Seawood, as you can tell, there's a reason I love this guy. It's just absolutely compelling, and, and you and I will talk, and we'll dial in visit number two to have that discussion. Don't forget to go to Sasquatch Island Facebook group. Ask oh. to join, and then you'll notice that I do West Coast Native Indian art. So you can go to SasquatchTheLegend.com and order my art on cups, T-shirts, puzzles, all kinds of things, stickers. I did a very famous sticker you've seen at Medellin Falls and T-shirts, mm-hmm. Sasquatch Lives Matters. It's the Sasquatch hand raised up and inside a footprint. And you can also go to the BigfootStore.com. That's where my art is. And by all means, like I say, Sasquatch Island on YouTube, it's its channel, and on Facebook. Check it out. You'll like it. It's a whole different perspective. I don't have repeat posts on there. It's just basically stuff I'm sharing with you to make you a better Sasquatch investigator to get that crispy, clear pictures or video. That's what it's all about. My way of Pakala and you pushing you up. So you bag and tag some crispy pictures and video. Amen, brother. And uh, let me tell you all out there listening, this art is amazingly beautiful. And I saw it firsthand uh, at the event, and I've seen uh, the site 
It's beautiful stuff. So definitely check it out. Mr. Tom Seawood, thank you so much, sir. And I'll be in touch and we'll get you back. Perfect. Thanks a lot. And everyone out there, be safe in your investigations. Thank you very much. Alright guys, thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash paranormal portal radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at paranormal portal, P-O-R-T-L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. We got hundreds of shows, Journeys into the Paranormal Portal. So I hope you'll check it out, check it out, guys. We're over there at youtube.com slash paranormal portal. So Hope to see you guys soon. Uh, We'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day. And remember to laugh as much as you can. 